Everybody doing well this afternoon? It's afternoon already. Praise God. How about, how about 84 degrees yesterday, huh? All right. 24 tomorrow. All right. You got to love Indiana weather, don't you? Praise God. Um, and here's the thing, like I say about our weather, if you don't like it, then you got to gripe with God because he creates and gives us the weather. So I just thank him every day because he knows what he's doing. Praise God for that. As we walk through this story of Ruth, it's an incredible story of God's goodness, God's grace, of redemption, and his providential care. And, and today, we're going to see that, that redemption is messy. However, his providence is necessary in the midst of the redemption. And so we all have pictures in our lives that we're not so proud of. And God's providence and his grace steps in and he straightens things out. And the truth is, all of us have different journeys. And, and to represent that, just, just for sake of illustration, suppose this book was your life, or this book was your life, or this book was your life. Each of us are given a certain number of days that God has set out ahead of time on earth that represent our life on earth. And every one of us, some of us live shorter lives and medium lives, and some of us live very, very long lives on earth. And so at some point in our journeys, we have individual chapters of our lives. And as we look at the story of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi and Elimelech and Malion and Kilion and the Moabites and, 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 and the followers of God, it was just one of the chapters in their life. Now think about it this way. Before the foundation of the world, God marked out Rusty's life and, 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 and he marked it out ahead of time. And he marked out every single teenager on the front row. Before the foundation was put into place, God knew the ending of your life. He already knows the conclusion. The Bible says that, that he has elected, he has predestined. And so he already knows what's going to play out. He can go to the last chapter of your life. The conclusion, when, when we're standing at your funeral or at the gravesite, and he knows what has happened from the beginning to the end. He already knows it. However, he gives us free will. In the midst of these chapters of our lives, we have the ability, because of our free will, to make good choices, to make not-so-good choices, to be obedient or disobedient. And the truth is, we end up somewhere at the in the chapter of a book of our lives at the end of every day. And so as we look at the story of Ruth and Boaz, we find ourselves right in the middle, as we would say, of their lives. And we're going to see them get some insight from Naomi that I would say is unwise. And we know this to be true, though. Even though we don't know beforehand like he does. We know that one day Ruth and Boaz are going to get married because we know that Jesus came and the baby that was born, Jesus in the manger, as we understand at Christmas, came through the line to Ruth and Boaz. And the very blood that was in Ruth and Boaz will be in Mary and Jesus. So he knows from the foundation of the world that even though we live our lives out, we make all these choices, at some point he knows the end and he knows that Jesus is coming through the line of Ruth and Boaz. Yet it's pretty messy right now. And for some of us, we might look at it and say, it's not going to happen. 
It can't happen. Like Something needs to happen. And that's where providential care of God comes in to our messes, comes in and protects, provides, addresses the need, and gets us back on track, even regardless of the choices that we made. This is an incredible story. Grab your Bibles, turn to Ruth chapter 3, and we're going to see where redemption is messy, but the providence of God is necessary to fulfill his good will. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand. But turn to Ruth chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 to 5, and ask you to stand as we read it today. Ruth 3, verses 1 to 5. Let's read it out loud together. Ready? Read. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you, where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be wanting barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. You may have a seat. Our human longings can lead us to unwise decision making. Now I want you to hold on to that truth. Because as we look at this account today, I want to believe the best in Naomi. And I, that's how I see people. I've asked God, Lord, help me to see the best in them. Help me not to get hung up on this issue and that issue. So that all my life is just full of this poison and negativity. But God, help me to see the best. And as I look at this account, I don't believe she wanted to see Ruth placed in a compromising situation. But the advice that she gives her is unwise. It's very unwise. To tell her to go to this place where, where, where Boaz is sleeping and to go there after he has eaten and drank lots of, of, we would say, wine. And then to doll herself up, take a bath, shower, put on her best clothes. And then it says to put on perfume and enter this place where this man who is sleeping on the ground. It's not the kind of vice that you would say is very wise. I want to pull away and set context here because it's important. There's two kinds of ways to look at Scripture. You can look at Scripture and say this is descriptive or prescriptive. It's important. Most of the narratives in the Old Testament, the majority of them, we can look at that and say that's descriptive. Descriptive says that it describes what's taking place. It gives you facts, figures, timelines, people, events, encounters. And so you can look at it and say, that described what has taken place. Prescriptive scripture reading is this. It prescribes the way that you should do something. So all through the Bible, you'll see commands. Do this, do that. I command you to. Be strong and courageous. New Testament, you ought to do this. So sometimes you can look in Scripture and say, that's a prescription for the way I should live my life. You must always look at Scripture and say, okay, because the Bible says this, then that's how I should prescribe it or it's describing it. This is an account 
that's describing what took place. However, big picture, all of Scripture we can look at and say, we can find wisdom, we can find general principles and application that we should apply to our life. Every single passage of Scripture, we can walk away and say, this is how we can apply this to our lives. This is not a a prescribed way that you as a mother should tell your daughter to find a husband. This isn't the way. But there are principles here that we can glean onto. Let's set context. It's important. It's been six to seven weeks since Ruth has been gathering the leftovers in the harvest field. You remember, she came from Moab. She repented and trusted in God. You've got to be my God. Your people are my people. I'll die where you die. Now she's a follower of God. She's in a foreign country. And she's been eating on the outskirts. She's been eating the leftover harvest for six to seven weeks. Now let me give you some context. That's about the length of time that it would take to harvest a crop during this time. So Naomi is looking out, and she's saying, whoa, we're in trouble because there's not going to be any more food available, and I need to have a plan in store. So her plan was, you need to marry Boaz, and in order for you to marry him, you need to make your intentions known to him, and you need to blow through some of the cultural customs who's supposed to do it first and go in this route. And so she tells her to go down. Now, let me pull away and say, it's impossible to judge someone's motives correctly. Oh, boy, if we could just hold on to that. How many texts would we delete that we have written? How many Facebook messages would we, if we could, you can't delete those. (laughs) Once you send them, you can't delete texts. How many times have you made an assumption about someone's character, about why they do something? We don't know, and we can never judge the motives and tents of the heart. Only God can. Assumption is the lowest form of knowledge, and it's the form of knowledge that many of us use way too often in regards to people. But it's impossible to judge motives. Only God can do that. Naomi plans, Naomi's plan assumes that the end justifies the means. Let me, let me explain what that means. She's looking and says, okay, Ruth needs a husband. So no matter whatever happens here, it justifies that she does this to get him. It's like standing Friday night or Saturday night at the Chief. You want ice cream. And you know that you want lemon ice cream pretty badly. Maybe that's your flavor. And you've thought about it all day. And now you and your wife or you and your children or you as an individual, you're going to the Chief. And as you drive up, the line is like the whole way around Linway Plaza. And you're like, oh, I can think about his lemon ice cream or peanut butter ice cream or Ant Hill, whatever it is. I'm making you hungry. Whatever it is. You're thinking about it. And so the end is, I need ice cream and I need it now. So in your mind, I'm going to get ice cream and I'm going to get it now. And so suppose you were to just budge your way right by people. Work your way right by the 27 people that are waiting in line and you stood right in the front of the line. How would the rest of the people respond to that? Well, don't try it, okay? (laughs) So somehow in your mind, the end justified the means to you getting what you want. Naomi is doing that. She's trying to justify the end of her friend, daughter-in-law, finding a husband. So what does she say? Look again. Look how she says it. Verse 1. One day Ruth, mother-in-law Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you. 
where you will be well provided for. She knows the harvest season is about over. She knows that she doesn't have a place. And this says this, now Boaz, with whose, whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. We found that out. Tonight he will be wanting barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. Now let me just pull away and say that. If there's a mom out there that says, hey, to her daughter, hey, go put on your cutest dress, put on your perfume, hey, doll yourself up, and go find out where that dude is camping down by the river. And go open that zipper up, and you go in there. He's got a, a camping bag. Just slide your feet in camp, sleeping bag. And slide your feet there and just wait for him to tell you what to do. No! That's crazy. However, we got to pull the cultural customs of the day. You see, the cultural customs of this time, if a man wanted to marry a woman, guys, gals, and he was interested in marrying her, this man would take a blanket a covering, and he knew that he had interest in a woman to marry her, he would carry that with him, and he would find him. He would go to Grace Community Church, and he would sit down beside her in the chair, and he would take a cover and cover her up and say, you're mine. (laughs) So Naomi is trying to get to that point, but she's asking Ruth to do what Boaz was supposed to do. You see, human longings can lead to unwise decision-making. Let me just say that single dudes, like I, sometimes I think about this when I think of outdoor sports and football games and baseball games and, and you see someone that you're interested in. Hey, take a blanket, sit down beside her in the camping chair and say, hey, you need my blanket? <laughs> Naomi is making an assumption that he's a godly man. I think this is a good assumption because she's taken facts into consideration. He's already provided for her. He's already provided for Ruth. And she knows that he is a potential guardian or kinsman redeemer. He has treated her well. So, but godly wisdom should never take place or place us in compromising situation or let the sovereignty of God be our excuse to do things. Like, I don't care what I do. I'm going to get what I want, and then God will rescue me. That's fatalism. We should never do that. Way too often, we try to over-spiritualize people in the Bible. We can learn from them, but their decision-making is not always a prescription for us. Nonetheless, this situation is handled with strategic righteousness by both Boaz and Ruth. Now, he had a chance to do what many, many men would probably do if they had the lust of the flesh. He could have taken advantage of her. Yet God's providence rights many of our wrongs. Watch what happens in verse 6. It says this, So she went down to the threshing floor, Ruth that is, and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking, And was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. 
He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. And he says this, who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me. There it is. Since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Who are you? Boaz asked. I love in the original. Sometimes we don't get to see it in English. That who are you, that pronoun you. If you look at that in Hebrew, it's singular feminine. And you might say, how did he know it was a woman? Because she had Chanel number five on. That's how. And everyone else smelled like the locker room. And he says, who are you, woman? What are you doing here? You know, he understood the custom of the day. He knew clearly the custom of the day. But it was ends justifying the means. Ends justifying the means. And so he's a godly man, and he's having strategic righteous act here. And so he asks her. And then she says this. Look at her response. This is so beautiful in the language. She said in verse 9, I am your what, Ruth? What she say? Okay, it's important because sometimes in the English you don't get to see what the original says. I, I want you to turn back in chapter 2 and verse 13. The word servant. Let's look at chapter 2 and verse 13. Chapter 2 and verse 13, this is when she first met Boaz and he begins to give her leftover crop. It says this in verse 13. She says, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your what? Servant. Though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. There's two words that she's using here for servant. This first one in chapter 2 and verse 13 means handmaid or slave or I just work. That's all I am. I don't have any kind of relationship with you other than tell me what to do. And so in 2.13 she says, I am your servant. However, in this chapter 3 and verse 9... What she's saying to him is a different Hebrew servant word. This word says this. I'm no longer this lowly servant. I'm now, Boaz, I want to let you know. I don't have a ring on. I'm available. The language is so beautiful here. She says, I am a servant, Boaz, a servant that's eligible candidate to be married to you. And so she makes her intentions known to him. Now, I want you to pull away from this. A God that is powerful enough to hold the world together is strong enough to watch over you and me too. And as he looks at this situation, he knew from the beginning of time, think about it, think about it, from the foundation of the world, he knows exactly how our lives will end. He predestines, think about it, think about it. We have free will, but God's will predestines The end, the word predestined means, think about it, here's what predestined means, cliff notes, he fixes the ending of all of our choices. So he knows that we're going to make these decisions, but predestined means I wrote the conclusion, I know how it ends, and so I will fix the ending. That's providential care. He's stepping into this mess, and redemption is messy. And he's going to work it out to complete his will so that Jesus Christ can be birthed through the line of Boaz and Ruth. And so that the baby born in Bethlehem will have the blood of Ruth and Boaz. And listen, if God can do that, he can take care of all your needs too. You see, he already knows the end of your story. A couple things jump out for me 
in this text. She doesn't wait till Boaz tells her what to do like Naomi said. You see, she acts in a responsible way too, godly way. What was Naomi's advice to Ruth? Go there, lay at his feet, put on your best clothes, and then he will tell you what to do. What's Naomi do? No, no, no. She goes there. She listens to her mother-in-law. But immediately, she tells him what he can do. She makes her intentions known to him. She says, look, I'm a servant. No ring. I'm available. While this is not a wise way to enter a marriage conversation, God's providence and sovereignty will right the wrong of Naomi's instructions and the path that Ruth is taking. Always remember this. We have a good, good father that is looking after us. It's not like God just puts everything into play. He says, here, be born. You have free will. Just go and do. Now, we know during this time, because of the time of judges, everyone was doing as they thought was right in their own eyes. But God was still sovereignly in control. He just doesn't just throw us down there and turn us back and say, hey, I'll see you at the end. <laughs> no, there's moments in time where he providentially comes in, protects and cares, rescues us out so that we can become what he intended us to become. And this is one of those times. I love this story, too. Because we have a strong man that's about to rescue a hurting and hopeless woman and her mother-in-law, and give them hope again. As we wait on God's providence, we must maintain our moral integrity. And that's what Ruth and Boaz choose to do. By the way, a couple practical applications from this text. Not prescriptive, but practical application. Boaz is a good candidate for marriage. And why would I say that? And I always say to single guys... And single gals. Single gals, you're looking for a, a good candidate for marriage? Find a guy that has a Bible and has a job. Start there. That's a good place to begin. Plus, let me say this to singles out there. If, guys, if you see someone you're interested in, ladies, if you see someone you're interested in, a godly man that has a job, that has a Bible, that's running after Jesus, if you're interested in him, listen to me, ladies, single ladies. Get in his way. What do I mean by that? Show up where he shows up. Go to the Bible studies he goes to. Don't push your way. Find the row that he sits in and make sure you, he can see you three rows ahead of you on a Sunday morning at Grace Community Church. When he's in line to get coffee, get coffee too. Show up. Get in his way. Make yourself known and say, I'm a servant. Look, no ring. I'm available. Strategically place yourself. Ladies, if you're looking for a man, get in his way. Guys, if you're looking for a woman, I say this, run as fast as you can after Jesus Christ. Like, work on you. Become the man God wants you to become. Like, study, serve, work at purity, invest in in other people, mentor, and just keep running after you and run as fast as you can after Jesus. Like, just keep running after Jesus with your Bible in your hand. Just keep running. And if while you're running after Jesus, you notice there's this girl running just as fast as you are after Jesus, stop and introduce yourself to her. She's a good candidate. So Boaz and Ruth are meeting 
And the reason they met is because Ruth made her intentions known to him. Now look at chapter 3 and verse 10. She makes her intentions known. She tells that she's a servant that's eligible. And then here's Boaz's response in verse 10. He says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, he says, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. And I always ask this question. What part of all is in all? All is all. So she's asking, what does she ask? She's saying, I'm available. If you're the next in line, will you marry me? And he says, I, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Oh, pull away. I put on. How does he know that? How does he know that everyone in the town knows that she's a woman of noble character? There's no one else in that tent. They didn't come up and report when she was standing there. I'm free, I'm free, hey, I'm available, marry me. There's no one else that we see. How did, she, how did he know that? You know how he knew that? Because he had been asking people. Why was he asking? Because he was interested in her. And so his phone had been blowing up, text messages, group chats. What do you know about Ruth? She's a Moabite. She had this repentant time in her life on the way here. And she now is a follower of God. And she's got this mother-in-law, Naomi, and she's bitter, bitter, bitter. You get Ruth, you get her too. So make sure you know that you want her. This is a... And so he knew all about her, knew all about her, knew everything about her. Why? I'm telling you why. Guys, what do we do if we're interested in someone? We're going to find out all we can find. You're going to ask their friend. You're going to ask coworkers, and you're going to search. And ladies, let me tell you, that's what dudes do. They're checking him out. You out. They're checking you out before. And so he knows that because he has been asking questions. So what happens after this? Look what it says. Verse 12, although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another one who is more closely related than I. Okay? How did he know that? Cousin Vinny wasn't in the tent. He wasn't there. How do you know? Because he had been asking questions. And why was he asking questions? Because she caught his eye. And after she caught his eye, he was interested in her. And he began to ask the question, is she eligible for me to redeem as the guardian or kinsman redeemer? I am interested in being her husband. Verse 13, he says this, stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as the guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until the morning. In other words, don't look elsewhere. He's got a chance, and I know who it is. And I just want to let you know, Ruth, if he chooses not to redeem you, I got you, babe. I got you, babe. <laughs> He's letting her know his intentions. He puts them out there. You see, we need to trust God regardless of the obstacles in front of us. This is important for us. This was that moment in time where Boaz could have blown through the laws of the land 
could have just overlooked because he wanted to marry Ruth. He could have done many things, but he says, I'll trust the process. Remember last week? And God, if this is supposed to happen and you know my heart, my heart's going like this, Lord. I think I know it. She's the one. But I will wait on you. And what does the word of God say? Those that wait upon the Lord, their what will be renewed? Their strength. And so he's waiting and he says, hey, he'll come redeem you if he's supposed to. And so we'll wait. Verse 14, here's what it says. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. Why? You see, he's trying to protect her. He's a man of noble character himself. He's a strong man. Remember, his name means strong man. You see, a godly man always protects his wife from the rift rap of gossip around her. And he doesn't place her in spots where she will have gossip follow her. So he says, don't leave in the middle of the night because this thing, if you leave in the middle of the night from my tent and you're caught sneaking away, what will people say took place? So he says, wait till the morning. And before you go early in the morning, I'm going to load you up with a whole bunch of, 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 of harvest so that you and, and your mother-in-law will be cared for. He is a man of noble character. You see, he was not looking for a good time, but he was looking for a good name. There's a difference there, guys. Don't ever take advantage of a woman sexually. You Wait. For what God's plan is. If you want to be intimate, you're intimate once you're married, but not for then. And if you break through that barrier, then you are breaking down what God has intended for your relationship. If you want a relationship that will flourish and have fruit, wait till you're married to be intimate with one another. Amen? I didn't get one amen over here. Like, every week I say this. Amen? You see, he was more interested in a good name and not a good time. So he, he loads up her food. Look what it says. In verse 15, he also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured it in to six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her and then he went back to town. He's a man on a mission. He's going to make sure that if this other guy doesn't come through that he will. And then verse 16 it says this. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, hey, how did it go, my daughter? <laughs> like, I wonder if she slept that night. You got you to wonder. After the unwise advice that she gave her daughter-in-law, hey, get dressed up, smell good, go to the tent, make your intentions known. And so she asked, how did it go? How did it go? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me this six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then verse 18, then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. Like, <laughs> that would have been good advice like a, a day ago. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. How did it go? Like, I'm curious why she even asked that question. I mean, she's coming back. Her shawl is full of food. Like, uh, uh, Naomi, 
Uh, Ruth has like 24 bags of groceries from Aldi. Like, can, can you tell? And she's got a Cabela's sleeping bag around her shoulder. It was a good night, Mom. It was a good night. You see, many people want to shortcut the best for them because they refuse to wait on his best for them. And one reason many people never see God working in their lives is because they never hang in long enough for God to show his power. I want you to stick on that thought. How often when you want something, you believe this is what God has for you, that you bail out right before he was going to provisionally or providentially provide for you? How many times have you pulled out and the next day, if you would just wait it longer on him instead of putting it into your hands? You see, providential care can only happen when we have open hands and we receive from God. So many times it happens like we become impatient. We can't wait any longer. Like, Lord, it should happen now. I deserve this. I'm good. And, and now why am I not getting this? And God is saying, just wait. Those that wait upon the Lord, their strength shall be renewed. Let me give you an example. Many of you are sports fans on some level. How many of you have been watching a sporting event, a game, and your team is playing, and your team is so far behind at some point where you're just like, and you just turn the TV off. You say, I'm not even going to watch the rest of the game. Like, that's too far behind. And then you wake up the next day and you turn on ESPN. It's like, and you look at the bottom line. We won! Like, how'd that happen? We were so far behind. And you think, oh, I wish I would have watched it. I could have been right there. I thought about that this week when I thought about the New England Patriots two Super Bowls ago against the Atlanta Falcons. It was hard being an Atlanta Falcons fan in the second half. Ann and I were in Hawaii, and we had all these TVs around us, and the majority of the people in this place where we were at were Patriots fans in Hawaii. I still don't know why, but they were there. <laughs> I have no idea. And so we're watching the game along with them, and it's halftime in the Patriots are down like 25 or 21 points, just like three touchdowns behind. And the commentators say, it's over. It's, 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 over. it's over. And we watch people from that restaurant get up and leave. Leave the restaurant. Just leave. Like, it's over. It's over. Ann and I sat there because we were catching a flight out that night, and we watched it, and they kept coming back. And all these empty seats, and I want to say, where did they go? You missed the win. But aren't we just like that? Oh, Lord, it's been so hard. It's been two years. It's been six months. It's been seven years with this sickness. It's been, and we bail out too soon. I don't trust you, God. I give up. I'm going to work out another plan. And he said, if you just would have waited another 60 days, another 60 minutes, another 60 months, the victory was there for your taking. Pull away, big picture. The reason I love this account is because it's such a symbolic way, in the same way that Boaz was a guardian or kinsman redeemer for Ruth, that Jesus is a kinsman guardian redeemer for us. Think about this. We can't save ourselves. We need someone to redeem us. Ruth 
couldn't save herself. Why? She was a foreigner in a foreign country. Ooh, what does the Bible say about us? We are aliens and strangers in a foreign country. And the only way that we can get to our homeland is how? Through Jesus. And the only way that this Moabite could ever find this new home was for her to be redeemed by someone from that land. Enter Boaz. We can't deliver ourselves. Like, I can't say, God, I'll see you tomorrow. I don't need Jesus. I'm there. We can't deliver ourselves from our own messes. We need someone that's perfect in every way. Someone that can step in and take our mess and clean it up. Naomi had a mess. She couldn't deliver herself from her condition. She needed a kinsman redeemer to step in. Enter Boaz. Enter Jesus for us. We're at his mercy. There's no way we could ever get to heaven to our homeland other than God giving us something we don't deserve. That's what mercy is. Boaz is giving Ruth something she doesn't deserve, mercy. And only he can take us from the ashes of our sin and bring new life. Redemption is messy. The providential care of our God is necessary. We end this chapter the same way we ended every other chapter. Look at chapter 1. Look, look, look how it ends. We get to the end of chapter 1. Look at chapter 1 in verse 22. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Hope, food, hope, hope, Hope for tomorrow. Look at the end of chapter 2. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Hope, hope for tomorrow. She had food. Chapter 3, look how it ends. Verse 18. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Hope, hope for tomorrow. A kinsman redeemer wants to redeem her. There's food on the table at the end of the harvest season. There's a man at the jewelry store looking for a ring for his new found bride. It's a beautiful count of redemption. What does that mean to us? Things are never too far gone when we have Jesus Christ. Never, never too far gone. Jesus continues to pursue us, not because he has to, but because he wants to. Think about that. Wrap your mind around that. God gives us way more than what we deserve. Amen? Oh, Lord, we're grateful for your constant pursuit of us. We're grateful, God, that you are, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to be our guardian, kinsman, redeemer. We're grateful, God, that we're never in a situation that you can't redeem and your providential care can't rescue us. And God, as we look back, I pray, God, that our patience would grow and that we would be willing to wait on the Lord, wait 
on the Lord so that our strength is renewed because we know, God, that ultimately you predestined us. You have fixed the ending of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.